I'm Alex Shaw. I'm Sharon Shaw. And, and welcome, welcome to, to School of Movies. <laughs> Warning, both this podcast and this film contain a lot of depression, trauma and suicide. I'm going to say up front, you don't need to watch Smile. What is it you like to talk about? My patient. Hi. I know you're nervous. I just want to have a chat. I'm seeing something no one else can see except for me. It's smiling at me. Oh my God. Yesterday, a patient in your care died brutally in front of you. I need to find an explanation for what happened. It's smiling at me. You're going to die! You're going to die! You're going to die! You're going to die! I found 20 cases involving 19 victims with a direct line linking them all together. You said only 19. Why is it that everybody else who's seen it is dead and you're alive? I've seen it too. You? Get away from me! Okay, Smile. The new horror film written and directed by Parker Finn in his debut here. I didn't know that. And based on his 2020 short film, Laura Hasn't Slept. Spencer Lieb, one of my very favourite people whom I've been working on the New Century Multiverse with for almost a decade now, asked me very specifically to invite him on if we were doing a show. So hello, Spencer. Hi. Having seen the film today, I found it derivative of one particular movie, and then another, and then another, and another, and eventually my viewing was peppered with adding more and more to this list. I was I was kind of doing a memetic in my head. Mm-hmm. I was going da 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 so I could remember it, because people don't like it when you take out your phone in the middle of a, a film and start making notes for a review. Though They don't mind if you take out your phone and start going through Twitter like the shit stain just below me and slightly to the right. I don't know why, but I always get one person who just cannot be bothered to look at the film. They want to look at their phone, and their phone is on top-level brightness. Anyway. <clears throat> I mean, it's it's their 15 bucks per person if that's what they want to spend it on. Yeah. yeah, but they're also ruining the 15 bucks experience for everyone around them who gives a shit. So, yeah, eventually uh, I added more and more to the list because I remembered an old adage that if you copy one person's work, that's plagiarism. But if you copy 10 people's work, that's genius. Now, I don't know if that's true in all or any cases, but I do know that most of my books wear their influences very much on their sleeves. So I do not want to be accused of hypocrisy at this point. So what Spencer and I are going to do here is synopsize this thing with full spoilers. So if you want to go in cold, better skip out and come back after. However, I have a list of 10 horror films in front of me and eight of them I would consider better than this one. So maybe Smile Can Wait and you can see its influences first. (laughs) And thus I'm going to have to try not to spoil these eight. But I will spoil the (laughs) two that I consider bad along with Smile. Because there's no point me saying, well, it's just like this that happens in that. Oh, did I spoil that? Oh, sorry. That would make me an asshole. I come down on, I think this movie's like three and a half out of five stars. I don't think it's bad, but Mm. it's 
deeply disappointing, which is what made me like reach out to you of like, I have thoughts. I have so many thoughts on this friggin' movie. See, I think people are going to really dig this movie. I think uh, the, uh, the way I put it on the uh, Discord, if you've seen the exact ten movies I've got in front of me, you'll feel the way I do. If you've only seen one or two, it will feel a lot fresher. This is not a takedown or a rant or even a bad review. It is an exploration of how the mechanics of art can be transferred from one piece to another and what often gets lost in the translation process. The show it's most going to resemble is our podcast on Event Horizon, which lifted liberally from Alien, The Shining, Hellraiser, and Don't Look Now, among others. <clears throat> okay, so the opening plot runs thus... We flash back at the beginning to a deeply drunken and ill lady dying on a filthy bed and then turn to her 10-year-old daughter in the doorway of the bedroom. Then the daughter wakes up as an adult and it's our protagonist, Dr. Rose Cotter. She is Sozy Bacon, if I'm pronouncing that right? Sozy Bacon. S-O-S-I-E. Yeah, Sozy Bacon. Sozy Bacon. I cannot fault her performance throughout this. She's really no. good. She, she like, keeps us with her. So, she, yeah. She sells some of the, like, most upsetting moments of this movie. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I feel like part of the disappointment is the movie fails her. I I would agree with that. Okay. I'm, I'm her character and her actors, yeah. One movie so far, by the mm. way, that it's nabbed from, or that, mm. it's, that it has uh, been influenced by. Been influenced by. We're just going to yeah. say been influenced. I don't want to start accusing people of stealing. No. No. Indeed. Because no, this like, is how, we, but, we've yeah. said this before, this is how art works. Yeah, you, you are influenced by things. Even if you don't you know you are. something out of your influence. Like someone will say of a bit of New Century, oh, this reminds me of that, and I'll go, oh, shit, that is that. Mm. Like, I didn't even consciously know I was replicating that, but it was definitely in my head, and I felt like that rang true. But that's absolutely fine and fair, and nobody creates in a vacuum. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm just I'm just going to agree with you. Art is iterative. It's just how it works. Yeah. No. It's, it's a chain. It's a chain of influence. Okay, so Dr. Rose Cotter goes to work and she attends to a man suffering from a manic episodes. She's familiar with him and she's gentle with him, which illustrates compassion and a desire to help people. She's a therapist. Later on, at dinner with her shitty sister who needles her about attending her nephew's birthday party on Saturday, she is told that she should get a different doctor's job whereupon she can get rich. Her fiancé Trevor says that she would help people for free... So we know that she does legitimately care about people. Her sister also pressurizes her to sell their family home, which is just sitting there, run down, unused and empty. So I sat there in the cinema, I thought, put a pin in that one. Later on, when she visits Dr. Madeline Northdot, her own therapist, this lady is dismissive of our heroine's distress and she won't help her, falling prey to the usual crap psychologist shtick that Sharon hates. She's supposed to be a crap psychologist in this, but like it's so grating when almost no psychologist in any movie is any good at all. And I'm sure you could find some bits where you're like, no, Rose, you shouldn't be doing that, even mm -hmm. before the shit hits the fan. I have a psychiatrist friend or a, a therapist friend who watches movie and was just getting frustrated with Rose's behavior. It's like, if she's a psychologist, she should know better. I'm like, okay, but it's a movie. Breathe a little bit, but yeah. like... Well, we'll most uh, most scripts are not written by psychologists, so they don't no, have the inside no. lane. And I would never want to pressurize someone into doing research into something as unimportant as psych. 
Psychology. Okay, so uh, Madeline is played by Robin Weigart, who was consistently astonishing as Calamity Jane in Deadwood, yeah. one of the shows that inspired the New Century Multiverse. So it is not the actress's fault that the shrink of our shrink sucks. <clears throat> now, I jumped past the inciting incident on purpose because I needed to sort of set up uh, Rose's life. It leads into the first major influence as well, even though you've already counted one, Sharon. Like, Rose's second patient, after the poor manic chap, <clears throat> is a deeply distressed PhD student named Laura Weaver, who claims not to be crazy, but she's being stalked by something. Something that can make itself look like people, but isn't human. And when it finds her, it smiles. A horrible, rictus grin, and she feels like something terrible is going to happen. A few days earlier, Laura's teacher beat himself to death in front of her with a claw hammer, and he smiled like this at the end. She believes the entity has now passed across from him like an infection and latched onto her. Then Laura reels back away from Rose in utter terror, swearing that it's here in the room with them. Rose calls for security, but then Laura stands up, smiles demonically, and cuts her own throat very slowly and bloodily with a shard of china from a broken vase. And as you would expect, exactly what Laura described going through now starts to happen to Rose, which leads me to the first massive influence. It follows? It follows. This thing, it's going to follow you. Somebody gave it to me, and I passed it to you. Wherever you are, it's somewhere walking straight for you. All you can do is pass it along to someone else. This is literally what got us in the theater because we saw the trailer and we're like, ooh, this has strong It Follows vibes. Let's go see it. It's not just vibes, dude. It's the premise of It Follows. So you came up with like 10 movies this is pulling from. I have four big ones and I'm pretty sure all four of mine are on your list. Okay. So uh, don't tell me the other three, but yeah, It Follows. It Uh, it Follows is the strongest almost note for note detail here. There's a specific bit way later in the film where uh, one of the versions of the thing that's following her suddenly grows incredibly tall and sort of ducks under a door frame and is freakishly large. And I'm like, that's that is literally the framing of a majorly scary shot in It Follows. You cheeky monkey. Yes. Um, Mixed with in the scene where Laura is explaining her problem to Rose, she describes it as like, it can look like anyone. It can look like people I know, complete strangers. And then the, you know, like it looks like my grandfather who died 10 years ago. And again, these are all note for note beats from It Follows. Yeah. And uh, if Laura had been in the real world, she'd have gone, oh, so lucky in It Follows then. And she's like, oh, (laughs) you've seen it too. Okay. No no movies exist in the world of movies. Yes, yes. We're not using the Z word. In It Follows, the difference is that the curse is sexually transmitted. It is, uh, it's a parallel for STDs. There's a, a strange double bind where the heroine can pass on her infection and get off the hook from being followed, but she has to sleep with someone And then her plan is to then tell that person, sleep with someone else, and then just sort of pass it on down the chain until they can wash their hands of that and hopefully survive. That's not the end of It Follows, but that is a major decision that they come to. And in this film... It's the same thing, only you have to murder someone and have yeah, it's someone traumatically else, passed on. And it has to be traumatic. And like you have to go like go absolutely fucking bug shit crazy because as it turns out, she's like the latest in a long line 
there aren't ju- there isn't just one line. There have been multiples in, uh, around the world, and no detective has ever really zeroed in on this case of this person committed suicide. They were witness to a suicide four days ago. They were witness to a suicide seven days ago. No one survived yeah. longer than seven days. Some of them don't even make it to four days. And the way you pass it on is to murder someone horribly with one person there. Yeah, this this one puts a this movie puts a real fine point on. It's passed on through trauma. Did excuse, did did you guys hear that? It's passed on through trauma. 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 Like it's re- it's really not subtle about what this movie is about, which is one of the things that comes back to why I'm mad at it about the ending. Okay, oh, yeah. We'll get there. Oh, but the, it, yeah. It's leaning into its theming more than it follows us. It follows is, is kind of ambiguous what specifically it's about. Which is probably this a good is idea. Very much the, it's about trauma. I hope you got that from the beginning because we're going to say it five more times. <clears throat> With great trauma comes great responsibility. And more trauma. Did we? I don't know if we were clear about that. It causes more trauma. Did, hmm. Are you guys getting it? Okay. So the next one I've got on here is everyone starts saying you've had a bad experience, which, by the way, she doesn't tell many people about at all. You know, you said there's like three named characters that mm-hmm. uh, are important. She doesn't tell anyone exactly what happened to her. No. So everyone thinks she's going bonkers. Which reminded me of two films in particular. It's a woman in both cases. She's like starting, she's having real trouble sleeping. She's starting to see things. Her ability to cope is wearing down and wearing down. The Babadook. You have have named the first two on my list. It follows and then the Babadook. It wants to scare you first. Then you'll see it. This monster thing has got to stop. You can't get rid of the pepper dog. They even took the birthday party that gets all fucked up by that dirty-ass you know, Babadook. When you said nephew birthday party, I was like, hmm. I knew there was something. I knew there was something. Yeah. We did a really good show on the Babadook. And I'll remind yeah. you folks uh, that uh, Cinema Sins, the cancer of film, uh, did a 15 minutes on uh, everything wrong with the Babadook. And I just sat watching incredulously going, wow, you you can't read any subtext, no. can you? You are Mm-mm. You are trying to not understand anything being presented to you. Yeah. <clears throat> anyway, uh, the Babadook is fucking fantastic. It made hardly any money. Uh, although I think Babadook himself did become kind of an internet icon because we just love to rehabilitate killers, don't we? Like that people he, were pairing him up with Pennywise until someone said, oh, Pennywise, not, not too fond of the gays. So, uh, yeah, I guess. Yeah. I, I, Baba Duke is one of those. It, it, it's, it's a cult hit and anyone who's seen it loves it. And, but not, not everyone's heard of it. Absolutely. Which means again, people going to see this much more like publicly accessible film mm-hmm. will mm-hmm. like it more without feeling like it's cribbing from something. I mean, again, cribbing, stealing, uh, yeah, borrowing liberally. The, the thing I was making fun of about how it's really, really stressing that this is about a specific thing and this is about a certain mental condition. That's that's where I related to Babadook. Babadook is uh, more subtle about it and Babadook does the really great thing of it's genuinely unclear uh, in the movie 
Shining does this as well, where it's really unclear actually if this is actually a monster or if this is just her deteriorating mental state. This movie is much more clear on it's actually a monster. And again, when we get to the ending, I will explain why that's yeah. to its detriment. That's the problem with borrowing so liberally. Mm-hmm. The Babadook is is its own premise. Like yes. so, so when the uh, Cinema Sins guy's going, oh, whoa, 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 this Babadook guy comes along and leaves a book all about himself, and it's like, yeah, that's mm-hmm. very funny. She made that book. Um, mm-hmm. Like the, this is part of her psychosis. I'll, I'll let at least that out about the Babadook. You, like you can't just take that from the Babadook, but not take the rest, which is it exists both as a monster and as psychosis. And you, one, one of the major complaints I have about this movie is it tries to lean into both. It tries to lean into the metaphor. And the literal existence of this monster, it's its combining two of the movies on my list, um, and it turns out that doesn't work. And again, we will get into it when we get to the ending. But it wants it, to it, have it, its cat and its Schrodinger's cat. Yes, and it doesn't work for, like, structural reasons. Yeah. Like, it's not even thematically where it falls apart. But, I, 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 again, we should finish synopsizing before I can really tear this apart. By the way, if you've seen the film, that Schrodinger's cat gag, fucking funny. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> the other film that has a lady going spare because something that might be entirely in her head uh, is occurring, and then her kind of shitty fiancé is like, I'm scared of you. You're, like, You're acting all crazy-like. Oh, Candyman. Candyman. Candyman? Oh, yeah, it indeed yeah. is like Candyman. Dumb. I didn't I'm not gonna... that one, but you're totally correct. <laughs> wow. Yeah, uh, what Helen goes through is very similar because the whole world turns against her because, you know, horrible things happen and who else was in the room? Not just you, Helen. Candyman flashed But He's a one-stop shot, makes the panties drop. He's a sweet jacket, sugar-coated Candyman. Flashed into my head when you said the fiance was talking about how she'd help people for free if she could. Yeah. Um, Because his name was Trevor. Shut up, you useless piece of shit. I mean, (laughs) that's uh, the guy, that guy, Xander Berkeley, I think it is. Yeah, uh, he's just a scumbag. And so the the, the guy playing her fiance was like, oh, he's nice. But he really dropped into the, you're acting crazy. I looked up your mother and she was crazy. And being crazy is hereditary. It doesn't scare yeah. from Hereditary, okay. I don't no, think, no. anyway. Although Hereditary, we saw The Omen again the other day. My God, does Hereditary steal from The Omen. Yeah. A lot. Anyway, um, <clears throat> because, I mean, that's the thing. Like, uh, Ari Aster lives in the 70s when everyone was scared of creepy pagan say, cults. While we're on the yeah. subject of art imitating other art, yeah. Ari Aster never saw a horror movie he couldn't nick. But uh, Ari Aster's yeah. like, people haven't seen The Exorcist, people haven't seen... <laughs> Like, quids in for Ari Aster. No one's seen Wicker Man. Wicker Man. Man. Um, Ari, I have news for you. uh, Mine's totally different. I put him in a bear costume, so (laughs) I think you'll find... There's a bear costume in Wicker Man, too. Oh, God, you're right. (laughs) And also, like, was that the one that Nick Cage just punches a bear, or was he dressed as a bear? He's dressed as a bear and punches a woman. He comes (laughs) running the hill and punches a woman. Not to derail too much, but I, I will say, on the same note, Hereditary, at least, is making a point about... There's an argument that part of why it's borrowing from the omen is that Tony Collette's character is vaguely delusional and is framing it through her own. She's like, oh, like to her, it's like, oh, this is just like the omen. And there's an argument you can make that it's part of her own broken reality. This is just I saw a bunch of horror movies and I combined them into one. Okay. It's, 
the, the smile, smile really is just nakedly wearing its DNA on its shoulder. See, I never found there to be any ambiguity in Hereditary. Tony Collette was driven insane by her own mother, who was part of a creepy cult, desperate to bring back the most boring demon that ever existed. Not much of a conversation list. Remember that seven days thing I said? Yep. She may as well get a phone call that goes, seven days. Yeah, that's, 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 that's the fourth one on my list. I'm going to... I'm going to just really quick go through mine. So it's It Follows Duke, The Ring. You made those three. Bingo. Uh, Taking of Deborah Logan is kind of on there. That one's... I have one's not a, even heard of that one. What happens in a, that? Without a, it's spoiling a demonic, it. It's a demonic possession movie, so there's that. But it's a that one's a metaphor for how age takes away the people we love. It's about them slipping into dementia, basically, oh. um, is the metaphor there. So it's but definitely it's a, about something. It's about something. It's an, and it's creepy. It's a, one of the better... It's one of the better demonic possession movies. It's I'm writing amazing. that one down. Uh, Taking of Deborah what? Logan. Taking of Deborah Logan. It's not amazing, but it is... It, I would say it's good. I would say it's worth watching. Okay. Um, the other one that this one is pulling strongly from is Fallen. Denzel Washington. Yes. And- I, okay. Hold, put a pin in Fallen. Yeah. I'm putting that at the end. Yeah. Oh my God, is the ending just Fallen again? But yes. Okay. Okay. You know, Fallen's a fucking great film. I will say I, that right now. My girlfriend hasn't seen it. I'm probably going to make her watch it soon. Okay. okay. So we keep seeing things that make Fallen look really phenomenal. Yeah. <laughs> oh, what did we say the other day? We were like, wow, this is like Fallen, but no good. <laughs> it was a, uh, oh, it was fucking sinister. Absolutely horrible film directed by Scott Derrickson. And I realize I'm beginning to sound like, hey, the fax machine is nothing but a waffle iron with a phone attached. But sinister is just a grim and miserable, grizzable combo of the Amityville horror and 8mm that seems to concern itself chiefly with a disheveled Ethan Hawke looking at rubbish old home movies and squinting. Mm. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, The bit when she gets called on the phone and is taunted by the thing on the end of the phone was like, you know, first off, the burglar alarm goes off, so she immediately gets a call from the security firm who asks for the password. It's one of the best shots in the movie, actually. Yep. She's like, are you alone in the house? And she says, yes. And he says, are you sure? And they're like, oh, shit. Look behind you. And then there is a really really long shot from our viewpoint behind her and she slowly starts to turn around. I'm like, oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God. First of all, this is an incredibly elaborate Rube Goldberg machine for using modern technology to terrify a woman. Remember a few years ago? Remember a few years ago, as if you played albums backwards, there were satanic messages. Now they're subliminal. Isn't it nice to know Satan's keeping up with all these new technological achievements what a little busy beaver he is i picture him at radio shack every monday morning what new things do you have for me today so yeah that's an impressive level of dedication for a curse to remain contemporary but also that's scream am i wrong that's scream Yeah, mm, kind of, yeah. You like scary movies? Uh-huh. You never told me your name. Why do you want to know my name? I want to know who I'm looking at. Someone is playing a deadly game. It all began with a scream over 911. Someone who's seen one too many scary movies. Now, he's taken his love of fear. Hello? Hello, Sydney. One step too far. Do you 
like scary movies. What's the point? They're all the same. Some stupid killer stalking some big-breasted girl who can't act who's always running up the stairs when she should be going out the front door. It's insulting. It's only it's a little scream. bit like Scream. It's a little bit Scream and it's a little bit 1408. Yeah. Yeah. Um, another film that uh, I, I, it definitely felt like is when she's going uh, t- tells her horrible sister after the whole birthday party fiasco that mm-hmm. I won't go into the details of. Where she just basically screams and falls over and there's a, a bad pre- bad present. Don't get that for your nephew. Um, no. uh, and she's like, I'm cursed to her sister. And her sister's like, there's no such thing as curses. You're just crazy. Go away. And that's dragged me to hell. Like she's, yeah. she's, she's yeah. trying to convince other people that she's cursed. She's trying to get the, find a way to lift the curse. That's uh, Drag Me to Hell by Sam Raimi. It's a loose one relative to the rest of them, but it, it reminded me of Drag Me to Hell. The other thing is people suddenly go, like they've been talking to you and then they suddenly go dead faced and then they kill themselves. Does that remind you of anything, Sharon? It's not a good movie. This is one of the two that is not good. The Happening. The Happening is an M. Night Shyamalan film where people just kill themselves in droves to the point, like at the beginning, it's shocking. But by maybe only 20 minutes in, it's ludicrous. From M. Night Shyamalan. Oh boy, this should be good. Comes one of the best laugh out loud comedies of 2008. That was supposed to be a horror movie? It's The Happening, a film about a thing that happens. There appears to be an event happening. They've been affected by whatever's happening. Could this really be happening? Why is this happening? There's something happening in a few states. Whatever's happening is happening to smaller and smaller populations. Then stops happening. Nothing happened. It's even dumber than it sounds. Now, normally, I would say, if it's a bad film that wastes its premise, a good director needs to have another shot at that idea. Not necessarily a remake, more of a refinement that turns it into an actual film that people want to watch. But since the central conceit of The Happening is rubbernecking at spontaneous suicide, maybe that idea is better left in the trash. My issue with it is that the mechanics of the whole thing make the goddamn sense. The the transmission, the intent, the purpose, the method, the energy behind everything that happens in that film is bullshit from beginning to end. Mm. Uh-huh. Let me do Fallen now. Okay, so Sharon, the mechanics are she's going to commit suicide because the thing's going to find her and effectively possess her body and make her commit suicide. She'll just go away and then she'll be dead. Or she has to murder someone, but it has to be really fucking messy. So she first off decides to go to the hospital and stab that poor guy who was having the manic episode. And like she's stabbing him and he's laughing and gibbering at her. And then she wakes up and, and poor Cal Penn, who got really shafted by Hollywood, is her rubbish boss. And uh, he's like, oh, and he was traumatized, but it was only a dream. And then she decides, I can't kill people. This is terrible. I've got to be alone. Oh, I've got to be alone. And then she drives off to the family home where her mother died that's been sitting abandoned for decades. Okay. The abandoned home of M. Beth Davids in Fallen where her father killed her, himself. Okay. You know, just out in the woods, alone, no other soul in sight. Yep. Fallen, folks, is a 1998 film directed by Gregory Hoblet with Denzel Washington at his, in his prime. He is so intense in that film. He meets a serial killer on death row 
a man he put there who had this particular affectation of singing time is on my side yes it is by the rolling stones and then this killer goes to the gas chamber and dies but then the killings start happening again John Hobbs wants to uncover the truth. What does Azazel mean? Now, my dictionary says that evil spirit of the wilderness... Walk away, Mr. Hobbs. But nothing in this world... ...is on my side. ...can help him solve this case. There are angels. Some of these angels were cast down, and a few of the fallen were punished by being deprived of form. Come on, get out of here! And each touch... And at the execution, did he try and touch you? Yeah, he did, actually. ...passes the soul of a killer into someone new. Well, I believe what I see, and I'm still trying to get my mind around what I just saw. Some things, pal, you shouldn't know. Denzel decides, I'm not going to say exactly what, because it's a really good film, that the only way he can beat Azazel is to go where there's no one else. Because it can't get into him, and effectively he has to stop it getting into other people. And so our Rose's idea is, I've got to do precisely that. And it also entails going back to my the, the seat of my trauma. Speaking of trauma... There is a specific thing that I can't name the events in the movie, but they happen in almost exactly the same sequence. At some point in Smile, it's The Descent by Neil Marshall, a really effective horror movie that's claustrophobic and fear of the dark. So I guess to best not spoil it, if you've seen The Descent, you'll recognize the thing that happens in The Descent at some point during our smile discussion. I'm sorry, I have to be vague with this one. I just, I don't, I don't want to spoil movies. And I am trying to use as much discretion as possible. But back to the finale of Smile and the shocking twist. When the little girl looked to her mother, her mother was calling for help and saying, please dial the, the hospital. And the little girl cries and goes, no, and runs away, slamming the door, leaving her mother to die. So she's gone back to exorcise her demons and sort of face up to this terrible thing that she did and has lived with in, in terms of guilt and the thing appears as her mother in the dark I'm getting prickly just thinking about it because here's it's, the thing it is thing. actually really effectively done throughout the film it made me yeah. jump and I was tense the whole time even as I knew what bits it was taking from other movies I can't yeah. fault the craft of it Yes, but it, it is very excellently made, visually shot. So, in fact, um, I, I want to give credit to, like you said, the look behind you scene is terrifying. Mm. Everything in that house at the end is really creepy. Yeah. Um, one of the first shots of it tormenting her is the one that has haunted um, my girlfriend and I the whole time. Like we're we're st even when we were upset about the movie, we're still mm. creeped out by this shot. Oh, the one in the it's, in the in the kitchen in the shadow. The one in the kitchen. The one where she yeah, it's this shot of after the incident of the of of Laura Weaver killing herself with a smile on her face. Rose goes home and she's in her kitchen at night, just holding a glass of water, trying to calm herself down. And she looks over and standing in the dark where you can't see its eyes, but you can see that it's very clearly Laura Weaver smiling at her from the dark is one of the most upsetting shots of the movie. It's so creepy. Yep. It's so creepy. And it's super creepy because it doesn't then rush at her screaming. And like no. uh, we've we've been watching
watching lots of horror films for October with Willow, and we've yeah. been sort of explaining that ghost stories start out really creepy most of the time, but most of them can't stick the landing because they have to dial it up to 12, and mm-hmm. because they overdo it, you actually wind up leaving not scary, not uneasy, yeah. because they've kind of put you off. It's like getting to the end of a really good meal and then they just start shoving pudding down your throat and go, more pudding, have more yeah. pudding. I'm like, I can't taste anything but pudding. Yeah, no, and, and the ending of this movie, even the final shots of this movie are really creepy, really unsettling. They're just thematically really yeah. troublesome. Yeah, so, we're getting to that. Uh, Another film that it's like is Alien 3. And I thought that just on a superficial level, when uh, her shrink comes to see her and she's like, oh, please, da, 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 and she's talking to her back and forth. And then the phone rings and she picks it up and it's her, her shrink on the phone. And then she's like, I, I need to talk to you. And she's just like, so who the fuck is this? And Robin Weigert, because it's like they wouldn't get this acting powerhouse in just to be this annoying busybody lady. Um, just then does this really creepy fucking grin and then walks over the sofa to her, clanging down uh, and just grabs her and shoves her up against the wall. That is the most famous shot from Alien 3 and she's fucking Mm -hmm. drooling as well. It's like, and I went, oh, Alien 3. They, They cut it at that point because they cut it at that point in Alien 3, because where do you go from there? Why didn't it just kill her? But it, Alien- it makes a little more sense because it's purposely trying to show off that it can do this whenever it wants, but it's waiting. Yeah, so. yeah. And also, that bit from Alien 3 was really good, and it's hopefully passing out of living memory, so, you know, Lil could just, just put that in my movie. See, this is this is where I think some of, some of the fuzz around whether or not an homage mm. or a, a lift yeah. from another mm. piece of art is successful or not. If your version of it has uh, an emotional and um, uh, sort of impactful sincerity to it that Mm. means that you stay in the moment, even as your brain is thinking, this feels familiar, Mm. then it's worked. If your brain goes... Oh, that's that bit from that that other bit, bit, yeah. And it completely removes you from the moment of the film, then it hasn't been successful. I was talking about this on the uh, uh, Discord the other day. A lot of the time, my uh, the characters in New Century will quote movies because those are the quotes in my head. But because they're all in the 19th century, they don't know they're quoting movies. Mm -hmm. I just leave them in for people to go, ah, that's that thing from that thing. Look okay. Mm. Hmm. Something's missing. Well, nothing else is gonna fit into this dress. I'll yeah. tell you that. Maybe something in this box. I don't want you to get too excited. It's only on loan. <laughs> oh! <laughs> I look down at the box. What's that? Oh, just something to finish this one off. He flipped the lid of the velvet case. And a tiny flash caught my eye. Inside was a necklace with a silver chain and what looked like an elegantly sculpted sheriff's badge. For my little shooting star. It's, it's beautiful. This whole thing is... None of this you ain't no champ! You a chump! Float like a butterfly, sting like a bee! Rumble, young man, rumble. Y'all want to lose y'all money? Then you better it on Sonny. He know I'm great. He will fall in eight. Come on, you big ugly bear. I'll whoop you right now. <laughs> I hear laughter. Look at y'all. Y'all won't beat me. I'm too fast. 
You're looking at the one who'll drop you under the sun. How fast are you? Maximus yells out as he draws forward from the crowd. Fast! Fast enough to last. I'm faster than the second that just done passed. You nasty little bastards, I'll beat you half-assed. And we roar together in pre-triumph. Go tell your mama, I'm inflicting trauma. Greatest in Rama, bring on the drama. But it doesn't happen during drama. No. Because I don't want people going, oh my god. Oh, that's that bit from Aliens. (laughs) Yeah. Because that would fucking ruin it. And unfortunately, there are far too many bits in here that are little winks and nods during moments you're supposed to be absolutely on a razor's edge. Mm -hmm. So you kind of shoot yourself in the foot by either cribbing or referencing. Michael Bay does this all the time. Yeah, and you certainly do not quote something and then have your character practically spike the camera and go, Alien 3. (laughs) (laughs) Do not go in there. Woo! Ace Ventura. Exactly. But Alien 3 is a very funereal story about Ripley's trauma following her and she kind of by the end accepts she can't run away from it anymore. She has to destroy it and herself so that it can't harm anyone else. It's taken everything from her. Her daughter, her other daughter, her job, her sanity, her hair. And everything, like, she is down in the basement. She's gone to gothic hell. The company are offering her, we can take it out of you, and it it has to be a choice between that or going, no, fuck you, you are not getting this thing. So it's a choice between making a deal for her life and letting the alien out, or they both die right now, and rampant capitalism, unfeeling robotic consumption, doesn't get its mass destruction button. A very clear choice between humanity and self-sacrifice, and inhumanity and self-preservation at the expense of everyone else. But bear in mind that is everyone else in the abstract. That removal of the new queen from the world means something, and it has that operatic Elliot Goldenthal score. However, that's not what this film is. This film is like another movie on my list, the last one and the worst one, probably worse than The Happening because of how it actually ends. Lights Out. Yeah. By David F. Sandberg who should know and do better. He's a decent guy. Every time I turn off the lights, there's this woman waiting in the shadows. I see her too. And people say superhero movies are formulaic. Each one of us is being haunted by this thing. A long time ago, I had a friend named Diana. And something really bad happened to her. Everyone is afraid of the dark. And that's what she feeds on. Show yourself! I am so sorry to keep jangling you folks. I deliberately lowered the volume on that to almost nothing. It was going to burst your eardrums. I think that's the last bit of jump scare stuff. Though it is accurate to the experience of watching these kinds of films. 
Something, something creeping. Ah! Oh. Rinse, repeat, rinse, repeat. Here's another one, rinse, repeat. Do the same thing over and over. This is the 2010s in horror. Just the end of that movie, wherein Maria Bello has a curse on her that is now hunting her children. It's this, like, yeah, every time you turn the lights out, uh, the ghost of her best friend when they were kids turns up and kills you. So this curse is tied to Maria Bello, and as long as Maria Bello's alive, it will keep happening. So she takes the policeman's gun and shoots herself in the head because, and I, I bemoaned this on one of the very first after-school clubs, unlike Ripley, who began the Alien Saga as effectively a deep space trucker just trying to do her job, and wasn't the focus of that first film, and then she was trying to proactively deal with her own nightmares in Aliens, Maria Bello, fantastic actress by the way, once again, the movie failed her, in Lights Out, is entirely positioned as my mother who has nervous breakdown after nervous breakdown and hides in her room all day. My mother who is mentally ill. There's no analogue there. It's just who she is as a character. An ailment. Rather like the sick sister in both adaptations of that rotten Stephen King book, Pet Cemetery. Zelda has spinal meningitis. Ew! And in the most recent adaptation, deliberately kills herself in front of her sister to traumatise her. Could you just stop doing this same thing over and over? And if I may drag us kicking and screaming back to lights out. Because effectively, her mental illness is a burden on her children, and they'd all be better off, the world would be better off, if she wasn't around. That is not at all Alien 3. And it's a really fucking dangerous-ass message to send out mm -hmm. there. For, there is so many people who have had dark, dark thoughts like this. Yeah. This is irresponsible filmmaking. And unfortunately, Rose deals with her mother and says, I was young and I was help helpless. I didn't know what to do. And I have got to be able to accept that about myself. She fights it with fire and uh, then she runs away from her childhood home, which then burns to the ground. She gets away from it. She drives to a cop's house who's like a buddy of hers. I've not even mentioned him. He is only useful for helping her find this chain. And all he does is go, oh, oh, God, he, like Napoleon Dynamite every time she asks him to help her. She's almost exposition and dumping to him so yeah. that we can get the exposition dump of what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. I like the fact that she's proactive and she she decides, yes. I'm going to go after this thing. I'm going to find a way to stop it. Her plan at first appears to be to commit suicide out in the middle of nowhere, where it can't traumatize anyone, thus breaking the chain, which would be selfless if it were just a monster. But they keep tying it up to trauma. However, they almost win it back by the fact that she's going out to this place where her trauma began ties in with her own emotional development and becomes to some degree self-empowering, especially when this big mother beast creature is bearing down on her and saying, your mind is so inviting, I'll be with you forever. You're trapped in here with me. To which she replies, yes, but you're also trapped in here with me. Smashes a lantern on her, she goes on fire. Didn't seem like she was intending to get out of that house alive but she does anyway. And so she's driving back towards normal life, and I thought this will absolutely do as an ending. Do not do the obvious fuck you ending. And he went, I'm gonna. And I was like, oh, brilliant, okay. She says, can I sleep here, and will you watch me while I sleep? And, and uh, the cop goes, yes, I'll watch you while you sleep. I'll always be with you. Ah, and then runs at her, and it's the monster. 
and then she's back at the house and it hasn't burned down and then she runs back in and then the cop turns up in real life just to be the witness to what immediately and obviously then happens he runs in and she's covering herself in kerosene turns around grins at him boom and then she self-immolates and he's like oh no and then it cuts to lollipop lollipop oh lolly lollipop lollipop and I'm like okay we've just seen the evil dead tonight uh, with Will (laughs) uh, who was very impressed by the animation and laughed a lot more than I thought they would since evil dead 2 is the funny one but yeah um, that ends on the like, after the ah when the thing rushes at Ash with the so anything that gives you a jaunty tune after a fuck you ending like uh, Ari Aster's both sides now at the end of um, Hereditary how fucking dare you I can't think of any horror film that ends on a jaunty fun tune pre-Evil Dead in 1981. If anyone can think of one. Okay, so just off the top of my head, four better songs to finish this uh, film on. Smile by Dean Martin. I Love Your Smile by Shanice. I Love To See You Smile by Randy Newman. And of course, Smile by Lily Allen. Oh yes. Yeah. I'd go with that one. That piece of shit alien knockoff life from 2017 ends with Spirit in the Sky, a year after Suicide Squad tried to make itself sound more like Guardians of the Galaxy by using it. Obviously, they don't quite hit the same tone of the, like, doing Mr. Sandman at the end, the same as uh, Halloween 2 did, and it was before Back to the Future, so that was okay. Oh, I completely forgot, ten years before The Evil Dead, Stanley Kubrick's A Clockwork Orange, which ends bone-chillingly with Singing in the Rain, and Gene Kelly wept. So if you can think of any that predate 1971, dark endings with jaunty tunes, let us know on Twitter or the Discord. But, okay, so Spencer, go yes. for it. I, I've pretty much okay. said my piece. Just the, the yeah, whole idea so. of... Uh, you will never, ever be free of this trauma. Uh, you yeah. know, you're locked in with it. You'll never get better. You may as yeah. well just kill yourself. Which is basically because their desperation to have that fuck you ending. Because they can't let their monster die. Yeah. <sighs> it's so weird how... Again, I'm not going to spoil it. But the end of Fallen is really satisfying... And yet, so, and it's not a million miles different. But well, and this is this is where you get into the problem of Fallen. You can read into it some thematic ideas, but it's very much the no, no, no. This is a monster movie. This is about a fallen angel. Yeah, that's why it's this is fallen. not. We're not pretending this is about trauma. This is anymore. not Detective uh, Hobbs's trauma. No, 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 no. In fact, it, it's implied Hobbs is a very well well adjusted human being considering yeah. his job. We're gonna do a show on Fallen. Yeah, Fallen's excellent. Um, whereas Baba Duke is very nakedly, this is a metaphor. This hmm. is about this is this is about actually it's about trauma and it's about repressing that depression and stuff like that. And I remember halfway through this movie leaning over to my girlfriend and going, Oh, I think I know what this movie is about, like air quotes, like what it's really trying to say. And I think that's what the movie is supposed to be about, and the ending betrays it. So and it's because they make the problem. Like I said, they try to lean into this is both a metaphor and the demon is a real thing that is difficult. This is the wanting to have your cat 
and have a Schrodinger's cat, which sounds like a Schrodinger's cat, but it's not. It's two cats. It's oh, what? Sorry. I have to, one cat I have to that's definitely 100% there, and one cat with a quantum probability of yes. question mark. Yeah, it's it's 150% cats. Um, <laughs> I have to back up a little bit to explain why this ending sucks so much. So there's two big things that happen throughout the movie that are not part of the, the, the naked synopsis. Side one, note, sorry. I'm so sorry, Spencer. Test audiences are here to catch this shit. To go, yeah. oh, for fuck's sake, loudly, so that you go, yeah. let's change that ending, because that was the standard, boring, played out, wrote, fuck you ending. We've seen it's that. Like, it's been seen over and over again. We don't need it. We don't need it. Put it in your ass. Test audiences yeah, so, like that ending. That's why... No, exactly. But, you know, I saw this movie this year called, last year called uh, Basic Instinct. Okay, now, Bill's quick capsule review... Piece of shit. Okay, now. Yeah, yeah. End of story, by the way. And then I come to find out after that film that all the lesbian sex scenes, let me repeat that, all. <laughs> all the lesbian sex scenes were cut out of that film because the test audience was turned off by them. <laughs> Boy, is my thumb not on the pulse of America. I don't want to seem like Randy Pan the Goat Boy, but uh, that was the only reason I went to that piece of shit. If I had been in that test audience, the only one out front protest in that film would have been Michael Douglas demanding his part be put back in, all right? <laughs> I swear I was in that movie. I swear I was. See, Mike, the movie started. Sharon Stone was eating another woman for an hour and a half. <laughs> then the credits rolled. I, uh... I don't remember seeing your scrawny ass, Mike. Was Bill Hicks in that test audience? <laughs> Goat boy called it like he saw it, Mikey. You made your 14 mil, now hit the fucking road. Test audiences can be a really useful tool, but if you don't have much of a story to tell, they can turn your movie into a pile of garbage they're the ones who made them change i am legend yep same thing i i don't want to buy this dvd but i want to own it because i want to see what the alternate endings probably were because this ending reeks of the producers stepped in and went yeah but we got to have the scary ending because this is the scary ending yeah now producers and executives and studio mandates can turn your story into a pile of garbage even if you do have a story to tell X-Men Origins Wolverine, while well, it's all about his PTSD. No, it's not. Studio mandate. We don't want to depress the audiences. Now go hunt Wolverine's juice. Sharon, so you understand the full disappointment of why this movie, like, because this movie just barring from all those other good movies should make a good movie. If all of your ingredients are good, you should be good, right? <laughs> it worked for Event Horizon. Everyone said that's good. Yeah. Also, I'm okay, thinking... So, where we're going, you won't need eyes to see Event Horizon. I'm thinking okay. cream, good. Custard, good. Beef, good. <laughs> good. <laughs> Smile tastes like feet. 
<laughs> I have to back up to two th- two thematic things that are running throughout the whole movie. The first is Rose does everything right. She reaches out to her therapist. Her therapist basically disregards her, which is even more insane when she knows Rose is also a therapist and yeah. can kind of gauge this stuff on her own. She's but like, you're not, is- you're not uh, going through episodes. You don't need anything to sleep. Just go home and try to feel better. And let's restart our sessions. It's almost like she's just pushing her own business. It's re- Her therapist yeah. sucks, like you said. And her therapist is meant to suck. She reaches out to her fiancé. Her fiancé just goes, ah, oh, I see. This is your craziness acting up. I And tries to offload her onto the therapist. Yep. And Rose tries to reach out to her own family, her sister, who also grew up under their abusive, monstrous mother. And, and seemingly sister, can't remember any of that shit. Her, well, because her sister says that her coping mechanism was she got out of the house. She ran. And that was how she survived. And she apologizes that she left Rose behind. But she did what she had to to survive and she has like no sympathy for what rose is going through Mm. and they all kind of disregard the fact that rose has been coping fine up until this point rose has a job she's functioning she's actually working pro bono she she was not having any problems really like we find out she's having you know she's having some intimacy problems she has problem opening up to people but that's not a sign of her life falling apart. That's not her hurting the people around her. That's just, I don't know, that's the human condition for most people. So she does everything right and is getting more and more isolated by the avenues that are supposed to be open to her. This feeds into the metaphor of depression and trauma feel isolating and it actually works to isolate you and how everyone in the world who doesn't suffer from this tries to tell you what to do. And it's like, I've tried those and it doesn't work. And people... The, the therapists are unreliable. My friends and family can't always be there for me. Even if they have legit reasons, it's still frustrating when they can't help me. And I thought this movie was really leaning into the idea that the, not just the idea that depression feels like a sentient thing that is both self-propagating, hurts the people around you, including yourself, but also feels like a malicious self-protecting thing, a thing that in, that tries to keep itself alive, but also that it's the really sinister well, maybe if you just smile, you'll feel better. Like it, that thing of like, I'm smi- I'm smiling to cover up the problem. Isn't that making you feel better? And I was really it. hoping it was going to be something to do with tr- people trying to make you pretend to be exactly. fine. The idea that this smile is covering up something really sinister, really dark, yeah. and the fact that this, all the actors were hired based off of how creepy a smile can you yeah. pull off. I don't- There's this really lingering shot on a box from the 1940s uh, in a train a model train shop. Oh, by the way, the uh, her sister says, get my son uh, uh, an electric model train. He he loves that because he's a 75-year-old man. <laughs> it was such a weird... What kid likes electric trains? I'm going to so, get all the emails like, now. My kid loves electric trains. I, I grew up with electric trains, but I was never like, get me more electric trains. I was just like, ooh, electric trains. Ooh, but electric I will, train. I will say, so that's actually part of a pretty good... But you don't just out. buy an electric train and go, this will work on whatever track you got, right? Yeah, no, they're... they're anyway, sorry, the, there's a, a 40s, I, like, Norman Rockwell-looking thing, but way creepier, so it's, it's like a... It's, it's one of those families who look at a jello mold in uh, the uh, shape of water and, like, smile at it, and they're all, like, pasted yeah. smiles on, and I'm like, yeah, fakeness, yeah, do this. Talk about yeah. how fake the fucking world is when it's kind of slapping a smile on but not smiling with its eyes. Do something with... No, you're not going to do anything with that? Okay, that was just, yeah. like, a box that looked really creepy that you filmed. Okay, cool, cool. Well, see, and this is and this is, this is is part of what I'm getting at. So, she, so there's that lesson of she tries to reach out and all of it fails until she goes, goes, 
until like she feels like she's going to snap and have to kill someone until she isolates herself to deal with her own problems. Mm. Side note, not uh, you mentioned M night earlier. And I actually want to give this movie credit for having a legitimate twist. Um, M night. I, I was thinking back through M night stuff and we recently watched old. Don't fucking don't. Um, but M night funnily enough really only has one twist movie and it's sixth sense all Mm. the rest of his movies are reveals and the difference is a reveal is like oh okay this is a big key piece of information a twist makes you recontextualize the entire movie on a repeat watch through in fact to the point where i feel bad even mentioning spoiler warnings for movies with actual twists spoils the fact that there's a twist because good twists you don't know it's coming but it's stuff like fight club sixth sense where you cannot watch the movie the same way the second time that you did the first time Mm. this movie actually does that because of the reveal of Everyone is treating her like, oh, you're traumatized because you found mom dead that one time Mm. when the actual reveal is, no, she kind of caused her mom's death on purpose in a way. And that's and it's you feel you're kind of on her side. You feel just you feel like she was justified in doing so. Her mom was deeply troubled, monstrous to live under. Everyone says so. You can see the signs of everything wrong with her mom. But it is that sad thing of like, well, what her mom needed was help and no one helped her. And Rose, as a child, basically chose to help herself by letting her mom overdose and die, even though she knew she could have helped. And that's a, that actually recontextualizes all her interactions with all the other people up until this point. And you understand why Rose feels so gutted about this. And so that's the so, opposite um, of a save the cat moment. That's a strangle yes. the cat moment. Yes. It, oh, and, and so, also, side note, uh, he couldn't possibly have known about this, but we saw another film earlier this year, uh, which has that same twist. I'm not going to say which it is, because otherwise yeah. that gives away that twist. But uh, No, we, we, we put a spoiler warning at the beginning of this one. So this this it's a, it is actually a good, interesting twist. It's not, like, groundbreaking, but it is like, oh, that's a twist, and that's cool. And so... She reached out, No one, everyone isolated her, no one helped her. She goes and deals with it on her own. And she has this breakthrough moment where she fights back against the monster and wins. And it's like, ah, cool, she beat it. And then it's the fake out ending of, oh, she didn't actually escape. And the monster beats her anyway. And again, kudos. The shot of the monster winning, genuinely creepy. It's this really creepy, like, demon with multiple mouths and it climbs into her mouth to take over her body it's really upsetting to watch yeah but, and it's it's accentuated by the fact that she goes very quiet and all the screaming yes. ah stops and she's just stops gone dead and she ha- yeah and she's gone as she just has to silently let it take over top-notch creature effects designers alec gillis and tom woodruff jr worked on this film they've worked on aliens alien 3 death becomes her demolition man mortal Kombat, jumanji starship troopers alien versus predator and The Stephen King story about an evil presence that can look like anything, but tends to default to an eerily smiling thing while it stalks its prey? It. The most charitable reading of this ending, the best I can give this, is that sometimes reaching out and making progress still isn't enough, and, you know, tragically, sometimes the mental illness wins no matter what, and that is a real-life bleak answer But that's me being really nice to this movie because that's not how it's framed. That is not how it comes across. And we in the theater, my girlfriend and I went, what the like we were mad at the moment. There's even more thematic collateral damage than that. Because of the twist, you have a better understanding of Rose's motivations. She's devoted her life to helping the mentally ill in a capacity where she won't be rewarded monetarily. Those at the very bottom who need the most help and have the least support. And because the movie only shows these people as irreparably broken, then its message, intended or not, is 
You can't help them. She's wasting her time. These people are doomed. Wow. Because it feels like what you said, where it is demonizing mental illness, saying that there is no hope, you may, there is no, there is, no one is going to help you, making progress doesn't matter, you, what you should have done was kill yourself before you could harm anyone else. Yeah. That's what it comes across as, which is counter to the theme of what the movie has been doing entirely up until this point. So like it we blasts said, itself in its own feet. Yeah, and this is what we meant by it's leaning into the metaphor of it. We gave these really strong vibes of this is about being pro, like this is advocating for getting help for mental health. This is advocating how much it sucks to have people tell you to just smile it off, cover it up, bottle it up, ignore it. This idea that, oh, it appears as the things as you know, people you know, and it's just the smiling, creepy versions of the people you know, or total strangers. And this idea that it's like, yeah, these triggers just exist in every day and you never know what's going to set you off. You don't plan on it and it just upsets you and it's not your fault, but everyone around you reacts like it's a, like you're the problem. And they even make a point of showing every single person who gets this demon mentions that it has appeared as someone who died when they were younger. Uh, the, the, the professor meant, they say that the professor saw his brother who died decades ago. Uh, Laura, uh, Laura at the beginning of the movie says she saw her grandfather who she who died in front of her seven years ago and um, Rose keeps seeing her mother. Um, it appears as her mother multiple times. Yeah. Victoria once said a really powerful, profound thing, which is in reference to somebody they loved very much who took their life. Mm-hmm. They said, suicide leaves behind so much human shrapnel. This mm-hmm. film weaponizes that human shrapnel and makes it a plot point. Putting that out to a world that's Uh been ravaged by everything in the 2010s and then COVID and everything's still going on, there's quite a lot of depression out there. It's so... It's so backwards and so short-sighted. And it's so very clearly like, well, because we wanted the scary ending where the monster wins. And it's like... I, I, I can't stress that even thematically this doesn't work. Structurally, this doesn't work. Because it's it it's imagine if you were writing a script and you're like, all right, part one, we set up that only the glass magical glass dagger can kill the bad guy. Part two, we establish that only the main character can wield the magical glass dagger. Part three, climactic showdown where our character has learned to use the magical glass dagger. <laughs> Ending of the movie is everyone dies in a gangland shooting into the streets of LA. Like it, it, it has nothing to do with what <laughs> happened up until this point. Like this is just structural. And that a pig eats her. <laughs> so here's the other thing, Sharon, that was not mentioned in the synopsis because it doesn't matter, but it clearly was supposed to. Throughout the movie, they keep cutting to Rose's nephew, Jackson. Oh, yeah. yeah. Jackson He's like, shows up auntie be crazy. Jackson shows up at the beginning, uh, at, at, and they even do, the. they're clearly setting up the rule of three, of the set up, the reminder, and the payoff. This is the 75-year-old man. This is the 75-year-old man who likes toy trains. Yeah. Jackson shows up. He gets traumatized by an event in the story. It's actually, It's upsetting and effective. We didn't like it. You're not supposed to like it. Don't worry about it. Something bad happens to a cat, to this kid, he gets traumatized. How do we know? They literally say it later on. Jackson's traumatized probably for life. Yeah. Kind of, yeah. And they do this lingering shot the second time he shows up of, it shows Rose freaking out in the car because she just got jump scared by the demon. Mm -hmm. She's freaking out in the car and it does this long lingering shot of panning over to Jackson watching her in the car, having her freak out with this 
stoic deadpan look on his face. So what you're saying is you think that was leading up to an alternate ending where she traumatized him by immolating herself and he's I, staring and it's like, oh, now the kid's going to be uh, seeing the smile everywhere. I think everywhere. it was leading up to an ending of she beats the demon and it shows that she walked, that she defeated her trauma, even if she doesn't get rid of it. Because we talked about there's there's like seven different endings you could do that are better that they clearly had within their budget because you could have just reused the same scenes and same actors and stuff like that mm -hmm. so i i don't want to get too into a i know sharon has a time limit b i don't want to get too into what could have been i think the ending they were trying to i mean i could re-edit this film and just chop the real ending off after the yes. satisfying ending <laughs> yes exactly she's just driving back credits yeah, there's a there's a there's a movie called Yellow Brick Road, all one word, which same thing. You just need to end it like five minutes earlier. And it's there's a movie called Old Yeller where he has babies <laughs> instead yeah, okay. of rabies. So, but the the point I'm making is, I can deduce this ending from what they put in the film. That's my point. Is it was clearly building up to, she kind of beats the demon, walks away. Maybe she's not scot free, but you could have the healthier ending like Baba Duke does. Or there's plenty of other movies that do this where it's like, okay, there's a healthy ending to this, but you can still linger on like showing the nephew is now drawing the smile of like, ah, oh, generational trauma, This tr the trauma affects the people around you, you do pass it on, but there are ways to deal with it, and it's not a death sentence. for. It's not, oh, you got traumatized? G you're gonna die. Goodbye, oh, we're all going to hell tonight. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It, there's a way to do this that's still the creepy lingering sequel setup ending that is still emotionally satisfying and thematically satisfying. Oh, so you mean like the end of It Follows, where it ends uneasily yeah. without that resolution, but there's some kind of like a little breath is taken and it's like, but it always follows. Like it doesn't have yes. to be a fuck you ending. It can just be it, uneasy. The Shining does it too, which again, this is cribbing from, but um, that's why I think the ending feels extra disappointing is because they had this better one that they were clearly setting up for. That said, part of why we didn't mention Jackson in the synopsis, he's gone after the reminder. They do the setup, the reminder, there's no payoff. He's just ah, the gone, old never power of three. So like um, uh, Captain Boomerang has this big yep. fluffy unicorn, and then oh, he has wait. this big fluffy unicorn, and then he gets am... stabbed in the chest, and it's like, oh my god, he's been killed. Oh wait, hang on, he had the big fluffy it's unicorn. Wonderful. No wait, it's a giant wad of bills. Uh, yes, we are both we are both pulling from Dan Olson's video. Of course, we cred from Dan Olson. If you're going to steal, yes. steal from the best. Yes. God, uh, anyway, um, <laughs> it's not even just a, oh, that's a disappointing ending. It's not even just a, oh, well, that was a weird way to end it. It's literally a poisonous ending. I was going to say, it is poison, and if you advise people to see it, you're poisoning them. It's almost you, like an yeah, infection. Yeah, and it's such a shame because, like we said, the craft excellent every shot of the creature is so unsettling at that party where the kid gets traumatized one of the creepiest shots is it sitting in the chair smiling at her and it's just mm. oh it this has been broad daylight and it's really creepy you're um, calling it it like it's it from it follows or even it from yeah. it it ain't it well, it's they, that they never, they never name it i mean it's i mean I, what, what do we want to do do we want to mythologize this thing call it the smiler but like that the one that smiles like you can oh I the man who laughs how about that because the ending is so bad that it it makes me not like this movie. You referenced Alien 3. Alien 3 is really good about understanding the difference between a suicide and a sacrifice, which is already a dangerous message because all almost all people who commit suicide think they're making a noble sacrifice. They think they're unburdening the people around them of their own life. Please, God, do not think that. You are, it is never the correct answer. Human you are shrapnel. always causing more damage with suicide. Pause, than you are. pause. Yes. Suicide is a very personal, very serious thing. Yeah. I do not want to question anyone's motives for or against 
nor do I want to assume them, even applying just statistics. I never want to be dismissive about something this serious. Yeah. Look, if no, you I, can I seek support, we're going to put some uh, support phone line for America and England. In the, are we going to yeah. put that in the credits? Can we do that? Yeah. Uh, just, shout out just something, because I feel like I want to, to, to put a little bit of, of vaccine out there to deal yeah, with this infection. Ethically speaking, I should not even have detailed methods of suicide within this film or on any of my podcasts. This is something therapists have to adhere to. I'm not a licensed therapist. I want to talk about movies, but I want to be responsible. And Sharon has sent me the details of the crisis lines. They should be in the show notes. It's 988 in America, Anthony Sapp with Talk Suicide Canada, The Samaritans, and find a helpline which covers 150 countries. You absolutely are not alone. For well over a year now, I've been on a specific medication to keep my depression from getting too sharp. It got very bad during lockdown. Sharon got me through it. And frankly, so did you folks. And doing this show, it gives me forward momentum. Writing these books, making these wonderful podcasts. Thank you. Thank you to everyone on Patreon. Thank you to our top tier sponsors. Aaron Lecluse, Abel Savard, Alejandro Vargas, Alex Brewington, Angus Lee, Benjamin Hoffer, Brian Novak, Cassandra Newman, Chris Finnick, Christopher Wolfe, Kieran Dashler, Connor Kennedy, Dan Mayer, Daniel Salguero, Dan Hepner, Dave Hickman, David Sheely, Finbar Nicole, Frankie Punzi, Greg Downing, Jameis Enright, Jesse Ferguson, Joe Crow, Joel Robinson, Johan Clayson, Joe G, Josh Waster, Kat Esman, Kevin Vahey, Lorraine Chisholm, Marty Polmeyer, Matthew A. Siebert, Michael Hasco, Robbie Crow, Sarah Montgomery, Timu Hellas Hayo, Tim Rosensky, Timothy Green, Toby Skiljungius, Tom Painter, Trey Contreras, and Valencia Burns. doesn't even do the sacrifice it just does the ooh creepy monster wins at the end and i'm like this is gross this, this is, is not the end of nightmare on elm street where you get a hilarious dummy being sucked through a window so let's finish on dean martin's smile because it's more yeah. more more creepy obviously lily allen is not going to leave let people leave the cinema going oh that was creepy yeah no. i did some digging and the version of smile that dean martin did is just that song that the joker overplayed Smile, though your heart is aching, smile Even though it's breaking when There are clouds in the sky You'll get by However, the song I was thinking of was Powder Your Face With Sunshine And then in parentheses, Smile, Smile, Smile Also by Dean Martin So, thank you very, very much, Spencer Is there anything you'd like to plug? Uh, there's this there's this wonderful series called The New Century that I highly <laughs> recommend you check out. I'm part of it. That's why I'm plugging it. Otherwise, no, because I don't I don't finish any of my projects to to actually be able to plug any of my stuff. Spencer is, of course, underplaying how fantastic a performer he is. Here's a clip from Panther Soul. A lion with a red mane comes walking in and stands over me. 
before crouching down to study the shape I'm in. That was quite a beatdown, young sport. He got in a lucky hit. That's for certain, though I'm not sure who was luckiest. I sniff and look into his eye, a flash of defiant fire in my own. Two weeks ago, when you fought Jonna, you shouted something about some kind of jaguar god. Hmm, Pax. Yeah, you said you were going to make him vomit blood like Pax. Yeah, that's one creepy motherfucking god. Didn't think any of you lions would catch that. I was just saying it to him. I was ringside. But then last week, when you fought that fast little bugger... A cheetah, yeah. Damask. You called him Muff Debt. Said his hide wouldn't protect him from your snake bites. <laughs> you got good ears. Absolutely I do. How do you know all these gods and goddesses? I got mythology in my veins. He stands and names a price. And just like that, Langdon conveys me over to a new owner. I am allowed to retrieve my bag and bring some clothes, and then I am ejected from the boxing commission. Who oh, you need me to fight for you? I murmur as I walk through the darkened streets with Maximus, the two of us avoiding all crowds. You gonna put me in the ring? Cause I might be a bad bet, old lion. I don't need you to fight anyone. I want an assistant. Somebody walk you around the city, a bodyguard? No, I'm thinking a little farther afield. I was after someone strong, obviously. You qualify. They're stronger. And fast. I'm definitely that. Cunning. Daring. Able to make split-second decisions. Again, plenty of quick and smart lions out there. Why'd you pick someone who could be punchy and let you down? He smiles. Because... I need someone with mythology in their veins. Were you named Flapjaw at birth? Those sound like bad parents. Don't talk about my parents. Fine, but is that your preferred name? Hell no, your people slapped it on me. Well, enough of that elephant shit, then. Can you remember what your name was before they caught you? What if I can't? I ask sullenly, trying to hide all of my burning interest in where this is leading. What you gonna call me, then? I'm not. You pick a name. For real? As long as it's not Pax. He gives me the willies. I smile at this, and my mind runs along the possibilities. I delve far back into antiquity and pull a name from the long yesterday. Colo Nash. Ah, panther demigod, worshipped by the southern tribes. Ally of the fire lion and emissary of the Sumerian great tigers. Did you pick him because of his speed? His wits. I got an abiding fascination for trickster guards. That much is obvious. I saw you leave your left side wide open tonight. Was it worth the pain despite that crowd? Best thing I've ever done. So ends the third of my lives. And you can listen to the ongoing story of Panther Soul unfolding right now on the New Century Multiverse podcast feed. So, uh, thank you for letting me be here. Thank you, Sharon, for staying up and indulging me, because, God, have I wanted to very talk well. about this. You are very welcome. And we will be back next week with something much lighter, Ghostbusters Afterlife. I have been Alex Shaw. I've been Sharon Shaw. And school's, school's out. out. How do you face with sunshine? Put on a great big smile Make up your eyes with laughter 
folks will be laughing with you in a little while. Whistle the tune of gladness. Bloom never was in style. The future's brighter when hearts are lighter. So smile, smile, smile. Lighter when you're wearing a great big smile. 